song, ladies, if you can't uh, bless the Lord while you're alive, what are you going to do when you get to heaven someday? And so we might as well get used to blessing the Lord and thanking the Lord for all of his goodness. Tonight we're going to continue with our uh, Sunday night series that we're in on having a right standing with God. And uh, two Sunday nights ago, we began Romans chapter number eight. We looked at the first 17 verses. And uh, we, tonight, what we're going to do, for those of you that may not have been here on that Sunday night, uh, the first part of the message, which won't be long, uh, is more of a review just to help us to kind of get in the mindset of the context here in Romans chapter number 18. And then we're going to get into the last part of the chapter uh, tonight as we look at the last part of Romans chapter number 8. Now, I love how Romans chapter number 8 begins in verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And I have entitled this two-part message for Romans chapter number 8, Praise God I am free. Uh, because certainly because of what the Lord has done for us, we are free. Now, not necessarily free to do what we want, but we understand that we have freedom because we are in Christ. So as we think about what we looked at two weeks ago, let me just share a few things with you regarding what we've already looked at before we get into tonight's uh, text in verse number 18. And one of the things that I mentioned was this, that as we were saved, if you know Christ as your Savior, our salvation does not depend on our success as a Christian. The truth is, is that our, our salvation is based on the legal declaration of the judge of the ages. In other words, God is the one who has declared us justified. God has declared us righteous because of what his son Jesus has done for us. So there's four aspects when you think about our freedom that we have, that our new life in Christ. I mentioned, first of all, one of those in, in uh, two weeks ago was this, that we, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation. God says we are free from the decree, are free from the law. And of course, there is much mention, especially as Paul is the one writing this, Paul uh, is well-versed in the law, but Paul came to understand on the road to Damascus the difference that God made in his, not, in his life, not the law, and how much Jesus has changed his life. And I guarantee you, Paul, like you and me, looked back at all those years that he tried to live a certain way, that he tried to keep the law. He tried to be everything that he could be, but according to the Word of God, he fell short. So when you think about this, there were three aspects about this matter of the law. Notice again, it says here that, first of all, the law cannot claim us. Paul mentions and really helps us understand that now that we are in Christ, that the law has no jurisdiction over us, that our sin, the sin that we had, that the Bible says that we were born in sin, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that our sin was addressed, it was judged, and it was paid for on the cross. We talked about that this morning through the love of God. So when you think about no condemnation, this freedom from the law, from decree, the law cannot claim us. Secondly, he, he deals with the fact that the law cannot condemn you. And, and again, when you think about what the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. The Bible says he was made a curse for us. Jesus took our place. And certainly we find that not only can the law not claim us, but the law cannot condemn us. And then thirdly, the law cannot control us. Now that we are living by the power of the Spirit, we are no longer bound by the power of the law. And understand that as we are in Christ, that the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us, that it is by His power and by His might that we now live the life that we live. We are not uh, living by the power of the law. We are living by the power of the Spirit. So he begins this chapter dealing with there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We have been freed from the decree. And then secondly, we looked at this, that not only is there no condemnation, but there's no obligation. 
This dealt with our freedom from defeat. Listen, how many people we know that live a defeated life? And there are reasons that people live a defeated life. Notice the four aspects that I shared from the, from the Word of God here in the beginning of this chapter was many people live in the flesh. Now, he's not talking about carnal Christians when he goes through this. He's talking about unsaved people who are living their lives just like we did before we came to know Christ. He says that they are living their lives in the flesh. Now, the, the, the option is we either live in the flesh or we live in the spirit. Uh, Paul addresses that in Romans chapter number 7. For a saved Christian, but understand, unsaved people live their lives in the flesh. We, we run into them every day. People that just get so upset. I, I went over to Walmart this morning, and I know it's, it's, it's not the best thing to do, especially on a Sunday. And I thought, I'll just slip over there and uh, get a couple things. And, and I'll tell you this, that don't go to Walmart before 7 o'clock. The reason you should not go to Walmart before 7 o'clock is they have all the self-checkout lines that are there, but they don't turn the registers on for self-checkout till 7 o'clock. So they have one cashier, only one, working until 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's the last register all the way down on the far end. So I got my few items, and I, I, I started to walk, and I thought, oh, I got here before 7, they're, they're not open. So I started to make, make my way down, and there was this grumpy old man standing in the aisle. Can't believe this. Can't, just can't believe. They have one register open, and it's all the way down. I mean, he's just going on and on and on. And I thought to myself, what good is that going to do? Maybe he thought because of his grumping and griping and complaining that someone else that worked there might actually open another register. I got down there and I was number six in line. Yeah, ay, ay, ay. And I stood there. I, 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 I didn't blow my top. I didn't say anything. I just stood there. What else can you do? Like my wife said, they probably think, hey, we're the only place open. It's take it or leave it, you know? And so I stood there. And that guy just stood there in front of me. I just can't believe this. And he kept looking down there, and he saw a green light on. And he says, hey, there's one open down there. And I says, the green light's on, but nobody's home. <laughs> somehow, somehow there was a green. I walked by there. There wasn't, there wasn't anyone there. There was no register there. They had removed it. And, and, and I, I almost hesitated to say anything because I thought, let him go. But then I thought, he'll come back worse, you know? People just get so in the flesh, you know? He gets up there, and he's got some kind of uh, bank card that wasn't a credit card, wasn't a debit card, some kind of card that somebody put money on and gave it to him, and, and he swiped the card, and it didn't work, and then he's always upset about it. And I thought, my goodness, you know what this guy needs? He needs to go to church, and he needs the Lord, you know? But we get in the flesh, do we not? Even as Christians. But when he's writing here, talking about this matter of living a defeated life, he's writing about unsaved people who live in the flesh instead of living in the spirit. The second thing that he mentions when he, when he talks about no obligation is this matter of death or life. Now, people that are unsaved, yes, they're alive physically, but spiritually, they're dead. Aren't you glad that you know Christ is your Savior, that you're alive physically and you're alive spiritually now? <laughs> but see, listen, it's either death or life. He also talks about how that there are some that are either at war with God or they're at peace with God. How many of you remember the day before you got saved that instead of being at peace with God, you were at war with God? Anybody remember those days? I do. I remember thinking... What is all this about? I don't need God. You know, and it's just, people are just angry with God. And he says, look, these people that don't know the Lord, they are at war. The Bible says they were enemies with God. And then the fourth thing he brings up in this portion is, look at this, pleasing self, living your life to please yourself, or living your life to please God. Now, somebody that doesn't know the Lord, they certainly don't live their life to please God. They live it for me, 
myself and I. That's the world we live in. That's the way people are. And so as he addresses this, he talks about the fact that, that, listen, because there is no condemnation, he says there is also no obligation. We've been freed not only from the decree, but we've been freed from defeat. We don't have to live a defeated life. Why? Because we are now in Christ. He says we have freedom because of the Lord Jesus. Now notice the other two aspects that he brings up in this chapter. Number three in your outline is that there is now no frustration for us that are in Christ. And there's a lot of people that are very frustrated, but what does he deal with here as he picks it up in verse number 18? He's talking about that we have freedom from discouragement. There's a lot of people that live very discouraged lives. And he picks this up in verse number 18. Look what it says here in in verse 18. Paul writes and says, He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul uses the word here, reckon. It's a great word. It's actually a mathematical term that he uses here. And the reason he uses it is because it it deals with the matter of calculating or properly deducing or to reason about something as he reasons with this matter of there's no condemnation to us that are in Christ Jesus. He's reasoning this in arriving to a conclusion. So as Paul is writing here, he's talking about, look at verse 18 again, for I reckon that the what? That the sufferings of this present time. Anybody in here know anything about suffering? Now, we all, listen, we all experience suffering in various ways. You know, I, I had a member that was telling me this morning about somebody that's going through a very rough time right now. We know church members that, that are suffering. Uh, we pray for them. We often remember them. We lift them up to the Lord. And understand that sometimes because of suffering, we can get frustrated. We can get discouraged. There are two types, and I want you to look at this, two types of suffering that we need to be aware of. Notice the first one is what I would call universal suffering. The reason I would call it this is because all of us that are born into this world are under the curse of sin because of Adam. See, that that sin, that Adamic nature, it passed on to all of us. It doesn't matter what nationality you are tonight. If God created Adam, then are we not all descendants from that one man? We all have that nature, and there is a universal suffering because of sin. But notice also, not only is there a universal suffering, but there's an individual suffering. And when you think about individual suffering, you think about the fact that sometimes as believers, we suffer. Now, you know, again, we have to understand, God is trying to do a work. Many times we look at the suffering in a negative connotation, but but again, we need to understand, what is God trying to do? I love studying the Word of God, especially uh, the the aspect of the church, which is the present day that we live in. And the greatest place that I find that, as far as a pattern is concerned, is in the New Testament book of Acts. When you come to the book of Acts, you know what you find, just like many other places in the Word of God, you find a pattern. There was a pattern, a reoccurring pattern that took place. You see, God doesn't necessarily always do something new. Many times, it's just the key to learning is repetition. So in the book of Acts, what you find is that the church experienced suffering. And somebody said a long time ago, the early church moved forward on the wheels of suffering. Let me say that again. The church moved forward. See, sometimes what happens is things come to a halt. The work of God stops. But if you check it out in the book of Acts, what happened was God brought persecution. And right after that persecution, you see God's provision. God begins to work. God will do a purging. 
many times suffering has a purpose and we need to understand it. Let me list some of these, and I don't know if they're in your notes tonight or not, but if they're not, you can jot some of these down. They've been helpful to me, but notice some of the purposes of suffering. You see them there on the screen. One of them is to prepare us for the future. God, Listen, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but God does. God knows what your future is going to be. So oftentimes, the suffering will prepare us for the days ahead. Another reason or another purpose is God brings suffering to provide an opportunity that God can work in our lives, that God wants to use this suffering to show or to express his power towards us and his love for us. Remember when in the Bible there was a man that was born a certain way and they were asking the question, they said, why was this man? Now they had a belief that if a person was born with an infirmity, something wrong with them, that somebody must have sinned. Remember the story? And remember, they, who did they look to first? It must have been his, his parents, you know? And, and his mom or dad must have done something. Then they looked at the, the, the one that actually had the infirmity. And you remember what Jesus said? He says he was born that way so that God's power would be made manifest. In other words, Look, God knew the day was going to come when God was going to use this man's suffering so that he would get the glory out of it. God wants to use suffering in our lives to provide him an opportunity to show his power, to show how much he loves us. Remember what happened when there was a funeral procession going through the city of Nain. And they're carrying the buyer, the coffin, of a widow that only had one son that had died. Jesus, no mistake, Jesus just happened to be there. The funeral procession comes by, they stop, Jesus touches the buyer. And the son stood up, got out of that. God showed that he, he had power to raise the dead. God's looking for opportunities. But listen, that widow, she was suffering. She was weeping profusely. This is my only son. God used that to show his power, to show how much he loves us. Notice another purpose of suffering is to test our resolve. God will use things in our lives because here's why, is we will say we love God and we trust God, but oftentimes God will put that to the test. Do you really love me. He'll test our resolve. Some of us have experienced that. Another reason that he will allow suffering is to cause us to draw closer to him. I remember in, back in our lives many things happening and, and of course some even more frequent than others where through each one of those times of suffering we got closer to God. God used those times. By the way, many of the times, I don't know if I've been closer to the Lord than during those times. And I hope that you've realized God has used that. Now, not only the purposes of suffering, but look at some of the causes of suffering. And certainly we need to understand why, as he writes here, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. Well, look at this, five causes of suffering one is because of our part in the human race. Look, we all understand that, that this is the result of what we call the fall of man. That it is our part of the human race. Secondly, another cause is because of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's a cause of suffering. Thirdly, it's because of our enemy. Satan is always tempting us and Satan is always uh, bringing about things in our lives. Hey, remember, remember the whole situation with Job and how Satan just wanted to do this and wanted to do that to him? God allowed some of that. And listen, sometimes we suffer because of our enemy. But look at this, sometimes we suffer because of self-sacrifice. It, look, it, I, I've known many mothers that have done without, that have suffered for their children. I think of soldiers that have, that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And sometimes it could be in this matter of self-sacrifice. And then notice the fifth reason is we suffer because of Christ. 
see if you, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There are many that have been martyred for the faith. Uh, the book of Hebrews chapter number 11 talks about those that were sawn asunder, uh, those that gave their lives. Listen, there's a trail of blood that we ought to, we ought to be thankful for, those that suffered for the cause of Christ. So that, look, there are, there are certainly purposes of suffering and there are causes of suffering. And as Paul gets into this chapter, he, he continues to write here. And as he continues to write, he gets down to a word. And I want you to look at verse number 22, because here's where you see the word. We know that the whole creation, look at this word, groaneth. Now the word groan is a word that means to voice something in a deep wordless expression of pain. It's really like straining at something. I'm talking you're under something. You're under a a load. There is something that is heavy in your life. But again, it's, it's a wordless, it's a groaning. And when you think about this, notice in verse number 18, I want you to see some aspects of this groaning. Verse 18, I reckon that The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Now, notice letter A here. He's talking about the groaning of the creation. Well, certainly when we look at life, this present time that he mentions, there is suffering. There's pain. There's even death. Why? Because of Adam's sin, because of the part of our part of the human race. Paul here was comparing, and I think he does a great job with this. Again, God allowing him as he writes these words, he's comparing this groaning to a woman that is in travail. I remember, I'm sure my wife does, but I remember when all four of our kids were born. I remember what my wife went through. Now, certainly I didn't feel it. The only thing I felt was whenever I got too close and she drove her fingernails into my arm. You did this to me, you know? But I remember my wife, and listen, I've heard it described as going through the jaws of death. The women going through, listen, I think the word travail is a word that's very descriptive. A lot of times I see ladies and and, and you see, it's always the little bitty ladies that have like 9, 10, 11 pound kids. And you're like, are you serious? How did you give birth to that thing, you know? My, my daughter, my, my oldest daughter, she had twins. And when, when her sons were born, I mean, these two, right now, they're like, what are they, maybe nine months, ten months old? They, they weigh, they're very close to 30 pounds. They're like 26 pounds right now. They have continued that growth that they had when they were born. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that one of them is going to play professional football, not for the Dolphins, for some other team. Patriots, there you go. They can replace Gronk. But here's the thing is, is that Paul's talking about a woman that is giving birth, that the travail that she goes through, and certainly, look, there are, there's pain. I, I remember now they've got a lot of various things that they use, and they've got you know the, the epidural, and they've got all these things that help with the pain, uh, that, that a woman would feel and try to help. Some women, listen, they're just like, nope, I'm going al natural. And I'm like, man, my hat's off to you. But I remember when my wife, I think it was our first one, maybe it, was our, maybe it wasn't the first one, but the pain medicine wore off and they didn't know it. And then she got too far along and the doctor says, oh, we can't give it to you now. It'll slow the process down. And I'm going to tell you something. I thought my wife was going to climb through the walls. The pain that a woman goes through. And he's talking here. He's using the analogy that there's pain. But can I tell you, listen, that that pain will end 
when the child is delivered. Isn't it awesome? Uh, to me, it's unbelievable what a woman goes through, and then, and then as soon as that kid is out, she's like, oh, look at that little baby. She forgets all about it. I mean, she's holding this child on her chest, and yet she just went through whatever to deliver this child. Well, listen, that analogy is a great one for us because understand that one day our groaning as the creation, one day we will be delivered. One day we're like that child that will come forth that our groaning, our suffering will be over. Are you excited about that tonight? Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our, look at these words, light affliction. That's not my words, that's God's. You might not describe what you're going through I saw uh, one of our dear members, uh, Lillian, out there in the foyer. Her mom and dad were here today. Got a smile on her face. Going through treatments. I said to her mom and dad, I said, boy, we love your daughter. What a testimony of the grace of God. I really believe this is the way that Lillian and so many others, I think this is the way Michelle looks at it. It's just a light affliction. God's brought this into my life, and Michelle's just she, she just wants God to use her to encourage other people that are going through maybe something similar. What a great testimony. She understands the groaning of the creation. The, the Bible says our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Look at this. It worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, listen, it might seem like a lot to you, but listen, just hold on. Just keep pushing. Uh, that child is going to come forth. The suffering you're going through, it will come to an end. And when it does, listen, God will deliver you from it. Whatever it is that you're going through, the groaning creation will become a glorious creation. Look what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Hey, folks, I don't care what some religions say, this is not heaven on earth. I'm looking for a new heaven. I'm looking for something that God built instead of man corrupted. One day that's what's going to happen, but for now we see the groaning of the creation. For the believer, Today's bondage will be exchanged for tomorrow's glorious liberty. You see, he talks about the groaning of the creation. Look at secondly, in verse 23, he mentions the groaning of the Christian. The Bible says in verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. To wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. How many of you are looking forward to the day that you can hang up this old body and receive your new one? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to that. Brother Flynn, you're probably looking forward to the day. You, can't, you don't have to use a walker anymore, right? When you can run up and down the streets of glory. Isn't it amazing in our lives how from the time we're born, we start to die. But boy, when we get to heaven someday, it'll all start all over again. And it will stay that way for all of eternity. What a wonderful thought about that. See, as Christians, when you think about what he's saying here, the groaning of the Christian, certainly we have tasted of the blessings of heaven and how do we do that? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We that are in this tabernacle, you understand the word tabernacle is talking about your body, right? When I look at you, you know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at your tabernacle. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, that he dwells in us, in our tabernacle, our body. Hey, that's why we ought to treat our bodies uh, kindly and nicely. Why? Because God has given you that tabernacle. Don't abuse your body. And he says here that we are in this tabernacle and we do groan being burdened. 
Not for that we, sh we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now, the, he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given unto us, look at this, the earnest of his what? God gave us his spirit. Aren't you glad for the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit lives in us. And, and because we have the Spirit, this makes us to see the Lord. We Look, we look forward to the day that we're going to receive our new body and to live with God and spend all of eternity with Him at His feet, serving Him forever. We're waiting, as it says here, for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body when Christ returns. Hey, look, I'm looking forward to that day the Lord comes back. I hope He comes back tomorrow. I definitely hope He comes back for this next election. I'll tell you that. But listen, what are we talking about? What is Paul writing about? Here it is, temporary suffering. He's talking about light affliction. This temporary suffering will one day give way to eternal glory. See, the groaning of the creation. Then he talks about the groaning of the Christian. But look in verse 26, he mentions the groaning of the comforter. Of course, the comforter is another word for the Holy Spirit of God. Notice verse 26, likewise, or in the same way, the Spirit also helpeth, boy, if you mark things in your Bible or, or highlight or underline, that's a great word right there, he helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. Well, how does he do that? With groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Boy, we all know that verse, but now you see it in the light of its context. Look at verse 29. For whom... He did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, listen to me, the context, that's not talking about salvation there. See, this is talking to save people. He says that, that we would be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate to them, he also called and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You see, when you look at that, you, you realize he's talking about how God, listen, God is concerned about the trials that his people are going through. There is nothing that you will ever go through as one of God's children that God does not care about or God is not interested or concerned about what you're going through. God loves you. God is concerned about what we go through, and while Jesus himself was on this earth, the Bible records that there were times where Jesus, although he was God, he was man, he was 100% God, 100% man, Jesus himself groaned. Now, why in the world would he do that? Because he saw, while he was on this earth, the effects of sin on mankind. Look at a couple of verses here to illustrate John eleven thirty three. 33, when Jesus therefore saw her, what? Weeping. Look at this. And the Jews also weeping. Jesus came, notice, and he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. It bothered him. It bothered him when Mary and Martha were so burdened for their brother. Look at John chapter 11, verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and the stone laid upon it. Folks, can I tell you today that, yes, while Jesus was on this earth, there were times because of what sin was doing to mankind, Jesus groaned in himself. But listen, where is Jesus today? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And who is with us? Tell me. The Holy Spirit. So Jesus physically is no longer here on this earth, but today the Holy Spirit is in us, and the Holy Spirit 
groans with us. The Spirit feels the burdens that we're feeling. He's God. Listen, you, you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There, the Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit is burdened with what we're going through. He feels the burdens of our suffering. The Spirit does more than just groan for us. The Bible says that oftentimes when we don't even know what to pray when we're suffering, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. There are times where, honestly, sometimes I don't even know what to say to my wife, to the Lord, but the Spirit does. The Spirit groans for us. He intercedes for us, just like Jesus does at the right hand of the Father. And why does He do that? So that we might, even while we're suffering, that we might do the will of God, that we might live the will of God in spite of the suffering. In other words, let me put it this way. I really believe as you study this chapter in other places that the Holy Spirit of God shares our burdens. He knows what we're going through. And we see the groaning here. But can I tell you, listen, that we have no frustration. We should not be frustrated with the Christian life because we've been freed from discouragement. Then notice the last part is he mentions that there is no separation, that we have freedom from dread. See, we don't have to think about what other people think. We can understand that because of what the Lord has done for us, that, that we have so much to look forward to as believers in Christ. As Paul draws a conclusion to Romans chapter number 8, to this matter of our freedom, the Word of God actually gives us five arguments to prove that for you and I that know Christ, that there could be no separation between the believer and the Lord. We will never be separated from God. It's a wonderful thought. It's a great way to finish Romans chapter number eight. Look at these five things that I see here in the last couple verses of Romans chapter number eight. Notice as he talks about no separation that we see first of all in verse 31 that God is for us. God is for us. Look at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? Everything that Paul's just addressed, what should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Look, you're God's child. There's nothing that you should fear. The only thing that you should have a reverential awe for is God. And he says that as we think about this life, that our Heavenly Father desires what's best for you. I, I think most parents that I know, that's the way they are, that's the way I am with my children. I want what's best for my children. A lot of parents, when you talk to them, here's what they'll really say to you, maybe not in these exact words, but they want better for their children than they had. And you know what God wants for you as his child? He wants what's best for you. As I think about that, look, a lot of times we might not like this thought, but that means that even if we're going to have God's best, it may come through trials. It may come through suffering. You have to understand how much those early days and early years for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how that so changed them. Listen, they had lived into their teen years in their homeland. Then they were uprooted by a heathen nation, taken as slaves, as captives. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. They were, they were, they were, uh, uh, they were put in a lion's den. They were falsely accused. They tried to change their names. They tried to change their diets, their clothes, their look, everything about them, but yet it was through that time that you have to know, through the trials, through the suffering, that God did His greatest work in their life. Why? Because God was for them. He was there with them. Remember, remember the burning, fiery furnace? Hey, didn't we not cast three in? But it looks like there's a fourth one in there. That's in the form of the Son of God. See, God is for us. If God's for us, what's the answer to the question? Who can be against us? No one. Hey, aren't you glad you're on the winning side? <laughs> yeah. 
See, God is for us. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. God says that he has thoughts of peace and not evil towards us. Why? To give us an expected end. See, God's for us. He wants what's best for us. And so as we think about how that there's no separation, notice, first of all, God is for us. Secondly, that Christ died for us. Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us how many things? All things. Now, when I look at that verse there, it's clearly if when we were sinners, remember the Bible says while we were yet sinners. While I was a sinner, while you were a sinner, you know what God gave us? He gave us his best while we were sinners. He gave Jesus. See, God gives his best. And if God gave his best while we were sinners, then think about this. Now that we are his children, see, our relationship has changed. See, before he did all that for us, he gave us his best while we're sinners. But now that we are his children, will he not give us all that we need? Certainly he will. Look at Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, I love these words, much more. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See, God, now when he deals with us, he deals with us on the basis of Calvary's grace, on what Jesus did on the cross. He doesn't deal with us according to law. And so it's a wonderful thought that there's no separation. Why? Because God is for us. There's no separation because Christ died for us. Notice letter C. There's no separation because God has justified us. Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Again, when I look at this, God's the one that declared us righteous. I didn't declare, declare now I could do that, but the truth is it would not be a true statement. I or you, no one can declare themselves righteous. The Bible says our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. There's nothing good about us. But remember that there is definitely something good about our God. He is good. He is righteous. And we have been declared righteous in Christ Jesus. We are chosen. We are accepted in Him. And it is His declaration of our justification. And listen, the de declaration that God made about us, that it was God's declaration. He's the one that declared us righteous, and that declaration God made will never change. God's not going to declare you righteous and then undeclare you. No, we are declared righteous in Christ Jesus. It was nothing that we did. It was everything that he did. He would never unclaim that. He would never change that. And if he did, listen, seriously, then the salvation that he provides would be a failure. And the Bible says that we would still be in our sins. But certainly we're not because of Jesus, because he paid the penalty. And we are secure in him. See, there's no separation to them that are in Christ Jesus because God is for us, Christ died for us, God has justified us. And then look at letter D, Christ intercedes for us. Look at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The word intercession, listen to this. I love the, the way this, this uh, comes together. Jesus represents us before the throne of God so that we don't have to represent ourselves to God. Wouldn't you rather Jesus represent you than you represent yourself? It's kind of like sometimes you see where people say, no, listen, I don't want a lawyer. I'm going to represent myself. <laughs> How foolish many times. But certainly, listen, Jesus is God. And I think the last time I checked, he knows the judge. And I think that he understands the heart of the judge. And certainly he is interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Again, you think about how that we serve a risen Savior. He's alive. 
He ever liveth. Every day he is making intercession for us as our Savior. He is interceding for us in heaven as our high priest. He is the one that gives grace to overcome the temptations that come our way in life. As our advocate, he can forgive us of our sins and restore the fellowship that we need in our lives with God. As our friend, he is the one that gives the Holy Spirit to us to assist us as we live in this world. See, I love the fact that Christ intercedes for us, but look at letter E. I think about this, there's no separation because of this, that Christ loves us. Look at the last part of the chapter, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I look at those verses and I think about how that the reason that God does not shelter us from the difficulties, the trials in life, is because God wants us to grow spiritually. God knows that the things that we go through in this present time, that as we go through them and He is with us, that it will grow us spiritually. He assures us that the difficulties, listen, Word of God tells us, the difficulties are working for us, not against us. Remember, he wants what's best for us. God permits trials to come. And he does that so that we might, he might use them for our good and that he might use them for his glory. Remember, remember as Paul in his life, there was something that God brought into his life that Paul was struggling with. And Paul asked, he asked God three times. And the Bible records, for this thing I sought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, he says, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Do you hear what? It, this is, I know this is the word of God. I know it's God's words, but the testimony of Paul's life. Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Whatever you're going through, whatever you will go through, God is your heavenly Father. He loves you. He's not going to desert you when you go through trials. As a matter of fact, many times while we're going through those burning, fiery furnaces, He is closer to us than He even was before. God gives us the power. I love the word here where he talks about us being conquerors. The word conquer is synonymous with the word victory. The, the word that God actually used in the original languages, the word for victory is the word Nike. It's actually where a tennis shoe company got their name, Nike. But that's not the word that he uses here. He doesn't just say we, through Christ, we're victorious. Matter of fact, he says we are more than conquerors. I love that word because that's the word hooper nike. We are super victorious. He, he says here, we are super conquerors. Hey, listen, Superman has nothing on us. You know why? Because we will live for all eternity. Hey, listen, kryptonite took Superman out. But we, through Christ, we are more 
than conquerors. We are super conquerors. Nothing shall separate us. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That's what the Bible says. Can I tell you tonight, listen, with that thought, believe it. Rejoice in it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Listen, if God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nothing can separate us. We have victory. We have freedom in Christ Jesus. When you come to the conclusion, look at this summary here, Romans chapter number 8. There is no condemnation. Why? Because we share the righteousness of God. The law cannot condemn us. There's no obligation because we have the Spirit of God who enables us to overcome the flesh and to live our lives for God. There's no frustration because we share the glory of God, which is the blessed hope that one day the Lord's going to come back for us. And there is no separation because we have experienced the love of God. We are secure in that love, the love of Christ. The songwriter wrote many years ago, he wrote these words, praise God, I am free. I'm free from this world of sin, washed in the blood of Jesus, been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved by his wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out that he could bring me out and show me the way. Aren't you glad for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus? There is therefore now no condemnation there to them that are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that not only this chapter, but especially the Lord Jesus means to us that are in Christ. As we enter this new week of work and the challenges that will come along, some in here might be going through some personal suffering. It may be from self-sacrifice. It may be because of sin. It may be because of Satan. We know that there are times of suffering, but we understand that as we are your children, that you love us and that you would never allow something to hurt us. You want to use it to grow us, that we might be closer to you. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the victory that we have. May we live our lives every day on the victory side of life. Praise God, we are free, been born again by the blood of Jesus. Thank you again for this chapter, the the truth that we find in Romans chapter number 8. Lord, help us to live every day, not just as conquerors, but super conquerors. In Christ Jesus we pray, amen.